Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, you are the strength that comes from within, that changes everything on what's outside. And so, Lord, I just pray that that would be impressed upon us today. We, we pray for, in the name of your greatness, in the name of your awesomeness, we pray for our brothers and sisters in India whom we've heard about who are living in Book of Acts kinds of times, in the difficulties and the persecutions that have been true throughout history for so many of your family. And Lord, strengthen them from within. Honor their devotion to you. And let that be uh, learning to us too. And we want to thank you today for the power of prayer. I mean, the, the idea, the possibility, the reality that we could pray to a God who is overseeing your kingdom on this earth and that there's a direct connection right now in real time to people that are part of our church family globally on the other side of the world, and it, it has an effect. What a gift, God. Thank you for that. But Lord, I pray that here in our place, in our hearts, that you would shepherd us in a way that strengthen us from within. Whatever it is that we bring in here that is within right now, because only you know by your spirit what every person brings. May you heal and touch and lift and encourage and, and uh, show the joy of what needs to be shown. Whatever it is, Lord, that you would do that in hearts today and that you would do it collectively for us as your people, as your family here in this local place called Eastridge Church. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your presence and for how you lovingly shepherd us through all things. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. And as you do, just uh, hear me say welcome to you. Want to say welcome to anybody that's maybe new with us. We're so glad you're here. Or anybody that's here just kind of checking out the claims of Christ and Christianity and what in the world are they doing in church nowadays anyway. So we're so glad you're here. Um, and to start off, I just want to give you a little commercial that actually relates to where we're going. Uh, and that is that we've uh, just done a, we're finishing up a four-week series uh, this week, uh, but we're going to launch into a much longer series next week. We're going to go into the book of Mark, Matthew, Mark in the New Testament. We're going to go in the second book of the New Testament, and it's called Mark, the Untold Story of Jesus. And the reason it's untold is when Mark wrote it, he was the first one to write down the gospel. So it hadn't really been disseminated in terms of, you know, documentation and spread all over the known world until Mark wrote it down. He was the first one. And secondly, there are a lot of people today that think they know what's in the Bible, that think they know it's a part of the story of Jesus, but don't necessarily. And what we're going to find is we're going to find that it relates to a lot of the vision we believe God has for our church and a lot of what's going on in our lives today and in this world. It's going to be a great ride. It's going to be a great journey. And so I encourage you to be here for as much as that as you can. And it's going to go over several months. So I recognize that. But, but you know, let's follow through on it, listen through to it, and maybe, maybe you want to read it and start getting into it this week. But just want to let you know that's happening. But as I said, we'd spent four weeks on one verse, Acts 2.42. It reminds me of the story of the pastor who preached the exact same sermon four weeks in a row. Same sermon. And some guy caught him in the lobby and said, Pastor, what's the problem here? I mean, do you only have like one sermon? And by the way, what do you do with the rest of your week? I mean, what's the deal? And the pastor looked at him and says, well, when you start practicing this one, I'll move to the next one. <laughs> That's not why I'm doing this. You may have wondered, 
But because it is, well, we are sort of at a crossroads as a church, and I don't mean a bad thing or that there's some crises out there. I'm not, there's not another shoe going to drop. But the reality is that I think God has given us an opportunity. He's given, taken us to a place where there's this good crossroads. Do we want to be devoted in this way, in this culture, in this world, the way they were, in actual, uh, that it actually happened, that God did these amazing things? And that's that's why we're talking about this devoted series. We found that they've devote, they were devoted to four things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is basically the gospel. Gospel teaching, Jesus' teaching, what they had heard from Jesus, the apostles passed on to them. It's what's in our New Testament today. And it's more than salvation. I mean, it is salvation, thank God. It's Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead. We'll talk about that a little bit later today. But it's also him setting up his kingdom on earth and starting to change things. And he's been doing that all this time, and he's still doing that. And we're going we're gonna to discover that as we go into the book of Mark. But here's, here's the other thing they, they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to fellowship, which we said was uh, very similar to the word community, you know, the, the, the communal nature of what it means to be a part of the church, which is really more than just an institution. It's Jesus' family. It's a family relationship. And that's why we kind of define community that way, because community is used in so many different ways in this culture and this world today. But it's family, Jesus' family. And the way they express that then is they devoted themselves to eating together. And it's not just eating together we discovered. Just like, you know, the gospel isn't just, well, I'm uh, saved now. Jesus forgiven my sins. See, I wouldn't want to be. A. Now there, there's this, this, this it's a, the eating together is a part of sharing the Lord's Supper together. Yes, but there's so much more to it than that. You know, have you, have you noticed that when you stop eating, you stop living? So they're living together. They're, they're, they're sharing life together when they eat together. And today we're going to find out that they did something even closer in, closer, um, more intimate, if you will, and that is they prayed together. Now, at Eastridge, we had this vision statement that says, we'll do whatever it takes. We will uh, take every opportunity to show gospel love to each other and to people that come in, God brings into our lives. And we are in the process, the reason is we're in the process and, and in, the, in the, the pathway of becoming resilient disciples. We want to make and become resilient disciples. People that can't be kept down, that can't be pushed down, and can't be pushed off in their faith. And, that, and that's, the, that's the goal and the purpose of what we believe Jesus has given to us and, and the way he's asked us to articulate it, uh, the gospel and in our lives. And, and those two things kind of boil down to, you know, gospel love, uh, eating together, and, and Jesus' family fellowshipping together, and then, you know, becoming resilient disciples, knowing the truth and living the truth, and, and then praying and experiencing the truth. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're, gonna, we're sort of emphasizing today the why not just what. I've discovered over the summertime, you know, one of the things that I need to be giving you and sharing with you when we share together on Sunday mornings is not just the what, you know, eat your beans, but why you should eat your beans, you know, that kind of thing, okay? So today we're going to focus on the, the thing that kind of consumes all of it, the, the fourth thing, the, for, the fourth thing that brought all the other devotion uh, and all the other this activity and their whole lives together, and, and God will do the same for us, and it's prayer. But the reason prayer has that effect is because it starts with something inside, and, and the reason that that transforms us so is because of this internal transformation. And I'm going to call out a, a, a couple of paragraphs today, at the beginning and then at the end, uh, from a book that I mentioned the first uh, message of this series called Renovation of the Heart, which I think <clears throat> is probably the best 
book, and a lot of people would say this, best book on, on uh, transformation, the transformation that God the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives and in our church uh, to, to, to his family. Uh, in, uh, the best book that has been written certainly in the last 30 years, 50 years, maybe 100 years, maybe a couple centuries, I don't know. But it's by Dallas Willard, and it's called Renovation of the Heart. And about in the middle of that, here's what he says about the current situation. We must be clear that such a transition as envisioned in Christian spiritual formation can actually happen and can actually happen in us. What we see around us today of the usual, quote unquote, Christian life could easily make us think that spiritual transformation simply isn't possible. It is now common for Christian leaders themselves to complain about how little real life difference there is between professing and even actual Christians on the one hand and non-Christians on the other. Although there is much talk about, quote-unquote, changing lives in Christian circles, the reality is very rare and certainly much less common than the talk. Hmm. Now, that was written 17 years ago. Ask yourself, has it changed all that much in the West, in the Western church, in the, in the church in America? Let's just take that. Now, where, where are we at on that, that sort of continuum? Where are we at? I mean, there's, you know, this... this this really goes directly to whether or not we're really uh, experiencing and being everything God meant for us in this sort of devoted uh, way that he's called us to live. And, 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 and the problem is, is this has a very, very practical effect. This is a very, very big why that uh, Willard has put his finger on. Uh, because it says here that pastors or Christian leaders bemoan, you know, people not really living it, not, so, not, not being transformed and so forth. Well, what about the leaders, Okay. What about the, uh, I want to just sort of give you a case in point for a second uh, before we go on with the positives of what God, when we pray together, what God intends to do and what, the wonders of what that means. Because what happens when we don't do that, when we sort of pull back into ourselves, and some, one of the dangers of being a Christian leader, by the way, just to be uh, totally open here, is that when you pull back and you're not open, to do, when you pull back as a Christian leader and you kind of get into this ivory tower thing and you got to be higher, and you don't really share what's really going on, that's the, mar that's the place the devil can put his finger so fast. And it happened. It's happening more and more. We're hearing, hearing uh, in the uh, social media, and part of it is we communicate faster, but I think it is happening among leaders. But it really happened in a big way last year. And, and I haven't really talked about this because it blew me away so much. It took me a year to kind of process it myself, and let me tell you how it happened. What happened is, is uh, last spring in 2018, a, a bunch of accusations came into public view on the New York Times, the cover section of the New York Times religious page, and, and I think there was one on the cover of the New York Times, or the front page, above the fold maybe even, uh, and uh, stories or accusations about a pastor by the name of Bill Hybels in Willow Creek Community Church. Big, big, big evangelical church. Big, big, big evangelical pastor. He's the reason why we do church the way we do today in many ways, the way we worship. We know that we have video or drama uh, sometimes. That he's the guy that invented the whole world of, uh, word of seeker. You know, let, let's treat people like seekers because they're seeking the truth, you know, and so forth, which is all a lot of good. And thousands of people have come to Christ through his influence. Thousands. It's it just, it, it's incredible. But the, the accusations were of sexual misconduct going back 20, 25 years. Now, you need to understand, for people like me, people in my position, this, this, is, this is like, um, um, 
you know, we, we've been invested in this for years. Back in the 80s, I actually interviewed him. He was already internationally famous because a friend and I were going to start a church. Didn't do it. Then I came to Eastridge and did it anyway. So, but, but, but that, that's, that was, you know, he, he gave me his time and he was the guy to go to. His wife has stood on this stage, by the way, four or five years ago. Maybe three, I don't remember. But she was here talking about the Palestinian church and how we can minister to them. And, and, and uh, she's a godly woman. Pray for her. Uh, it, it just has to be an incredibly difficult time. But, uh, you know, I, I, it came front and center again for me uh, with uh, meeting up with a friend, actually a leader, former leader in the Covenant Church, someone who's responsible in many ways for making it possible for us to have planted Eastridge Church. His name's Gary Walter. He used to be the president of our denominational family. He uh, retired last year, but before that he was in charge of church planting and then church growth and, and, and so forth and so on. And, and uh, you know, he was actually friends with Hybels. I think he still would consider himself a friend, but I don't think Hybels is answering his phone calls. But anyway, um, he, he said, or I knew that they were friends, and he had been chosen, Gary had been chosen, to be on this panel uh, of uh, four evangelical leaders from outside the church to evaluate this situation and, you know, and give credence to these women who are bravely coming forward. And they, their, their report was, yep, they're, they're legit. This, there's no reason not to believe these and every reason to believe them. They're, they're, this, this happened. And, um, you know, I, I just, I saw him at our annual gathering of our denominational family called Gather this summer, and I said, uh, hey, Gary, Gary, thanks for doing that. And when I heard, saw your name on there, man, it made me feel so much better. And, um, and I said, uh, you know, it's sort of like having your big brother, you know, come out and, and find out that he's been lying to you all this time in a lout. He goes, Yeah. I know what you mean. I said, you know what I did? I went to my office, and I took all his books off my shelf, and I threw them in the garbage. And Gary said, well, I don't know if I'd go that far. But anyway, <laughs> you know, he, 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 that, that's the kind of sense. But in the process of talking with Gary and sharing it with some other pastors, I suddenly realized this summer, this is why I can decompress with you right now. I realized, you know what? It isn't about me whether I feel betrayed or not. It's about what this does for Jesus' reputation. That's what it's about. I mean, but, but it does illustrate why this devoted thing is so important and why the prayer thing is so important because that's how the transformation takes place. I think it was Ben Franklin. Maybe you thought this was scripture. It's not scripture. It's Ben Franklin. You can, you can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool, uh, how is it, some of the people all the time. Did I say that twice? No, backwards. Anyway, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And because here's what happens. When, when, we're, when we're following Christ, either we're being transformed within or we're not. Either, the, either there's, there's something real that's pushing up against the pressures from the outside and the temptations and the struggles, or there's not. And the first person that knows it, obviously, is Jesus. The next people that know it are the people close into you, like your family and maybe your small group, that, hey, what's off? But ultimately, everybody knows the fake news because things get brittle and egos get hardened and, you know, um, there's, there's all this manipulation trying to hide the truth and so forth. And that's, that's what happens. And that's why it's, such a, such, a, it's a, such a blessing that God wants to transform us. It's not a burden. It's not one more thing to add to my schedule. It's the, it's the thing that changes everything. And that's what these people saw. That's why they wanted to be devoted. And why they devoted themselves, as it says in Acts 2, 42, 
to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Which you ask yourself, you kind of ask yourself, what, what kind of prayer was this? What's this? Well, it was just prayer. It was conversing or talking with God. That's what it was. And, and we've learned from Jesus what that kind of prayer is. Because, you know, it, we, we know that it's intimate, right? It's close in. That's why in, in, uh, in your, group, your, your, your life group or when you've been with a group of Christians, sometimes, you know, it's hard to pray out loud, isn't it? Why? Because it's a close in, intimate thing. It's, it's, it's close. I, I remember when I was in high school, <laughs> there was, a, you know, none of us really wanted to pray out loud, but our youth pastor was determined to get us to pray out loud, and he brought his little five-year-old son uh, who was laying on the couch and folding his hands and bowing his head as we were supposed to be praying. And after about two minutes, the, the little kid pops up and goes, hey, I thought we were supposed to be praying. <laughs> and, and, you know, but, but, you know, we need to cut each other some slack on that and say, you know, this is a safe place for you to be that open. You don't have to have special prayer. This is not, you know, you don't have to have exactly the right words or be a great prayer to do it. That's not the thing. It's us together doing this together. And Jesus kind of approached that in the Lord's Prayer, didn't he? He said that we can call God a very, very intimate name. We can call God Abba, Father. That's the word Father. That's the word he would have used in the Aramaic. Because you know what? Even to this day, in Hebrew, in, in, uh, in Arabic, if you go to Israel, if you've been on one of those trips, you know that you know, somebody will be praying in one of those languages, and every once in a while you hear a Abba pop in. They're saying Father. It's a, it's a word for close, my real Father. One who I'm t- closely tied into. And Jesus says, that's how intimate this is. It's also what we need for life to be what it was meant to be. We need that inner relationship. We need that relationship in here between us that can pray together and bring this to God and be devoted to that and continually doing that because it changes everything for us. It, it, it gives us um, direction. It gives leaders direction. It gives us direction. It, 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 it changes us and transforms us in some way. In other words, it makes it possible to live out our destinies. Why? Because our destinies, when we try to take them into our hands, we suddenly discover that they are way above our pay grade. We just don't know enough. We don't have enough power. We just can't do it. But this is connecting with the God who loves you and has created you, and yes, who is in the process of uh, changing the world because it's not what it should be. And life is not what it should be. And that's what prayer really authentically does. And, and we've participated in this. I mean, we've prayed over those five prayers over the summertime um, together. And we have a prayer team that prays in the, in the office, and they ought not to do it alone, right, before the first service. Just saying, if you want to go in the office, you know that sign on the front of the office door that says, staff only on Sunday mornings, remember that? If you want to look what the, at the, what the office looks like, go through that. You can go, you got to go to the prayer team. Just go to the prayer team. Uh, before the service, and they pray for us every single Sunday. That's why it goes well, you know? And every once in a while, and it's rare occasions lately, but I'm going to get back into it, just drop in, hey, would you pray for this? We're going through this today. And, but there's, that's the kind of prayer is what it does. You see, here's what happens. Christians know how to converse together, who know how to converse together with Jesus continually, will become resilient. In other words, he's in the process of making us resilient. That thing isn't going to blow us off, isn't going to knock us down, isn't going to stop us. Because the reality on the outside matches the reality on the inside. That's the deal. And because of that, 
it's not about a pattern, it's about a pattern of prayer, not about, you know, the practice of specific prayers. You know, we look at the saints and these real praying people and so forth. And, and you know, I remember one, uh, they called some great saint, you know, camel knees. I heard this one as a kid because he prayed so much he had calluses on his knees. And I thought, oh, is that part of prayer? Because my knees don't look like that. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's not exact practice, right? It's not even the set prayers, although these people in the book of Acts surely had some set prayers because they worshiped at the temple on the temple grounds, and they, they uh, you know, in the Hebrew culture, they, they had brought in to Christianity with them some set prayers, and Jesus gave us a set prayer, didn't he, in the Lord's Prayer. So yeah, mingling that in, but it's not about saying the right words to get God to listen to you, because he listens all the time. It's about subjecting and submitting yourself, and us submitting ourselves together, that God uses that somehow to bind us together, to make this thing called his family, and to bring us all together where we need and ought to and really long to be in this world. He makes us resilient because he is, after all, the ultimate resilient one. He died on the cross, and then he rose from the dead. You can't get any more resilient than that, that kind of resurrection power. You know, this isn't the first time we see these, these early brothers and sisters of ours praying as an example to us. They do it from the get-go. Look over at chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 12. We're headed to uh, verse uh, 14. Okay, I'm going to read it from the screen because I'm putting it up here in a different translation because I want you to see some certain words. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem. So this is after the, the disciples were up on Mount of Olives and they uh, saw Jesus go up into the clouds, like I told you last week. An angel came down and said, what are you standing here staring for? Go do what he said. So here we are. They did. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath journey away. Now, if you've been to Israel, you know that it's just one valley. It's about maybe a half a mile to a mile, depending on where they were, in the, the, were going inside the city. All right, But in, in that culture, in those days, a Sabbath day was a rule that the, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees had that you could only walk a certain distance because anything beyond that would be work on the Sabbath. So they had like a mile or two. But that's what this means. So it didn't take all day to go from Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Just, I'm not sure why you need to know that, but now you know. Verse 13, when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is... Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, they all want you to know that they were there, all the apostles, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James, not the son of Judas, oh, that's not in there. Um, there these, all, uh, these all with one mind, there's that phrase again, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. So what you see here is a couple of things. You see, that, again, there's that one mind. And we've said it before and we'll say it again at least just one more time. It doesn't mean that we all as Jesus' family have the same opinions or that we even vote the same or anything like that. It doesn't mean that. It means that, in fact, we're headed in the same direction. We have the same purpose together. And God uses all of us in different ways with our giftings to get us there. Yes, but it's, we, we have an affection for one another. We have a disposition toward one another that we're moving toward this because that we're moving toward Jesus and being more like him and walking with him and getting better and better at it. That's what these people were doing. 
but also they were continually devoting themselves. Isn't that interesting? Because we know that they gathered together in this room to pray, because it says so. But the, the implication is, is that they were continually doing it. They weren't there like from you know, day in and day out. They had to eat. They had to sleep. Probably they had jobs. So the implication here is, is it possible? Could, could this possibly mean that we can be continually devoted to prayer together in unison, even when we're not in the same room together? We're still on the same planet, oftentimes in the same city. I think that's what it means. I think that's part of the devotion of growing in. It's part of, of, a, of a life that says, I'm going to continually pray and worship to God because you know what? My friends, my, uh, my family at Easter's, they're doing the same thing. The people in my group, they're doing the same thing. You see, what happens is this. Christians who know how to worship Jesus every day and all the time, all our time, all of us is given to Jesus, will be resilient. We will reach that goal. We will, we will see God do that over the course of our lives. In fact, <clears throat> what we see, again, in the book of Acts, is that in the next verse after Acts 2.42, verse 43, there are some pretty powerful results that tell us how God begins to transform us. How God, when we, when we worship him that way, all, all in, all the time, together with our brothers and sisters, when we do that, something happens in here that, you know, <clears throat> disaster proofs us in some ways. You know, some of these things we said before uh, don't need to happen to us. Look at, look at this. Look what happened. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. There's that word awe that we've been talking about. And you know what the word is? You know, I'm going to tell you the Greek word because it'll, it'll sound familiar and so you can impress your friends. It's, a, it's the word phobos. Phobia. Word we get fear from. But here's the thing. The word fear has been loaded up with so many things. What does that mean? Well, it means that there's this sense of uh, careful, reverent, and yes, even a little bit nervous respect. It's the kind of thing that, you know, I don't know if you played this game as a kid, you know, but you, you kind of say, kids say, my dad's tougher than your dad. He can take that on. I told my kids to quit saying that, but no, no, I don't know if they said it or not. I wasn't there. But, but, you know, my dad's tougher than your dad, or maybe my mom's tougher than your mom, you know, because I'm going to tell them they'll take care of this. There's a certain amount of respect, right? A certain amount of, oh, wow, I, someday I'm going to be like that. That is the kind of awe this is. And that's important because you see this fear of the Lord thing all through the Bible, don't you? It's this sense of, you know, with that kind of God, I want to be all in with him. I want to be all in there. And what that kind of awe does in terms of this kind of prayer and seeing God do what he wants to do in here is it prepares us to be resilient no matter what. Um, case in point, Sharon sent me uh, an article and then a video of the brother of a longtime friend of ours uh, these, this friend and his wife live in uh, British Columbia. They've been friends of ours for a long, long time, over the course of our whole ministry life, at least. And uh, this brother uh, is someone I've met, I think, maybe once or twice, uh, and um, 
Sharon probably met him more than this, but he has been a nationally respected and renowned psychiatrist. In fact, he was the chief of um, child and adolescent psychiatry at the University of Louisville, which is a big place for uh, child and adolescent psychology, apparently, in their medical school. And he was respected, uh, like I said, around the country and around the world, really, in many ways. And he, and he uh, had had like three or four years since like 2013, 14, you know, as chief. He had to have his annual review, like you and I have annual reviews and so forth of a job. He was getting stellar highest marks, 100%, every single year until 2017. In 2017, he was demoted from chief just to a regular associate faculty member. <clears throat> And then uh, in 2018, they didn't renew his contract, so effectively they fired him. So he was harassed, and then he was fired. And here's why. In 2017, early 2017, he was at a uh, national think tank. I think it was the Heritage Foundation. I'm not sure. But he was at the Heritage Foundation. He was on a panel discussion. And because he was the psychiatrist, I don't know if there were other psychiatrists on the panel or not, but he was the scientist. He was the psychiatrist. He was asked a question or something about... Um, transgenderism and what's happening today, particularly as it regards children, because I don't know if you knew this, because with our children, not only are we being asked to use uh, 40,000 40, different pronouns for people instead of the two, he and she, uh, we're, we're asking to pretend these other pronouns, okay, you're seeing where I'm going, but not only, not only that, but uh, parents more and more, not, you know, we hear about them, so it's not the majority, I mean, it's not even the big number yet, I'm sure, but parents are starting, you know, even as early as like kindergarten, five-year-olds. Oh, my, my kid is questioning their gender, so let's get them psychology. Let's maybe even do a little surgery. Let's maybe even give them some drugs. Let's maybe even, you know, a little later, give them some hormones as they get into puberty and stuff like that. And, and this, uh, this brother of this friend's name is Dr. Alan Josephson. All he said was on this panel was, you know what? As a scientist, I have to tell you that a lot of my colleagues will agree with me on this that uh, the protocols and the, the, uh, the, the evidence is that that doesn't do any good. It actually does harm over the long term. And people are made ill and sick, and it's, it's you know, it's, I don't know if he used the word experimentation, but he implied we were experimenting on our kids. And he got demoted and harassed, and he lost his job. And I, I, you know, that's still sort of in process where that's all going because the American Defense Federation got a hold of it. But the reality is, for us, is I don't, I, you know, I don't know if any of us are ever going to be in a panel situation like that, and we're going to be asked. But you know what? If the cultural moral revolutionaries have their way, the goal is and the purpose is, is to have every single one of us be at some point questioned for our faith. Are you going to be public about your faith, or are you going to keep it in there? Are you going to deny it out there? Are you going to keep it? Remember, these people in the book of Acts, they were being asked to stop talking about Jesus, Acts chapter 4. And not only stop talking about Jesus, you've got to quit saying we killed him. Right? And they, this, this thing that was pressing in upon them, and the question is, is, how would you, how would I, how would we as a church family handle that if somebody questions, do you believe everything that's in the Bible? Do you, are you a Christian? Which is short term for you know, in, in some circles for the problem with this world. What do we do? Well, I'll tell you what. We don't do it alone. 
And we don't do it without the transformation. We, we, we ask God to transform us before that time. It may not even happen that way to you or to me in our lifetime. But regardless, we see it happening with these people. And he wants to transform us to the place where we can show gospel love in such a way. I mean, because neither Dr. Josephson nor I are saying we should ostracize or be mean or hurtful to these kids. No, we better love them. But what's going on right now is not loving them. And if we, but saying that has become a problem. Are we willing to take the path of love instead of the other path? And, and the, 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 the only way we're willing is if we have that sense of there are people around me who love me. There's a God in me who loves me and he has transformed me. Let me say this as clearly and lovingly as I can. All right? Regardless of what that is. You see, that's the thing. Christians who have a healthy fear or sense of awe that Jesus can take care of this, will be resiliently attracted to him. We'll run to him, and we'll run to him together when things happen. doesn't mean we hide in our hidey hole and shut the world out. It means the opposite. It's the kind of care and love for one another that the world will be beating the doors down to get in on that. That's what we see in these people. It's sort of this all-consuming nature. Did you... Have you noticed in the Bible how that's how God changes us? That's how God defeats sin? That's how God defeats all these things that are hurtful and dark in our world? He consumes them, then he kills them. Think, think about this. Not the people. Kills the, 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 the evil. I mean, think about this. When Jesus dealt with your sin, what did he do? He took it on the cross, Right? He, has, he consumed it, even though it wasn't him. He took it in, then he killed it on the cross. Then he took death to the grave, and he killed that by raising from the dead. Then he is in the process in this, in this world, in his kingdom on this world, of making all things new, he says. He's taking the evil, and bit by bit, and piece by piece, he's killing off the evil in the dark. And one day, he's coming back for the perpetrator. One day, he's coming back for the serpent. And he's going to Grab him, and he's going to kill it too, right? That's how God does it. And only what we give God is consumed and transformed. That's why these people were all in with him, because our God is a consuming fire. You see, this whole business of consuming fire is a, is a sort of a metaphor that's a reality um, that is all over through the Bible, starting way back in, in the, the Old Testament and, and the Exodus and, and the, the children of Israel, the pillar of fire, all that. But the, this, this image of the consuming fire is all through the Bible, including in the New Testament. And one of the most famous places in the New Testament is uh, Hebrews 12, verse 29. And I'm going to read for you starting back, because uh, again, to get a run at this thing, because I love context. Uh, verse 25. Because he's talking about the children of Israel seeing Mount Sinai uh, shaking and the voice of God. And it's like, whoa, this is almost too much for us. Look at this. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. <laughs> if they did not escape when they refused him, God's people, his chosen people, you warned them on earth, how much less will we? If we turn away from him who warns us from heaven 
At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Did you know there's a prophecy in Haggai 2, 6 through 9 where God says, I'm coming back, and I'm going to shake all the world. Why? Because I'm going to make it new. It's going to be shaky for a little bit. Make a new heaven or new earth. Still to be fulfilled, but we're seeing signs of it now. Verse 27, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. Look at all these shaky words here. That is created things, hang on to that, created things, so that what is not, uh, cannot be shaken may remain. Now here's why. He's he's transforming created things back into their natural environment, if you will. Hang on to that thought. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. There it is. For our God is a consuming fire. In reverence and awe, the kind of awe that is attractive. That's why we started this whole thing the way we did. The kind of thing that draws us in. And what this is saying is, is our true environment, the the environment that you and I were made for, is God in us, being consumed by who he is. All of my life, take it all, that kind. That's the environment that you and I were designed to live in. And the environment that's inside us, God designed it that way so he could live there. It's what it's what um, Paul talks about in Colossians one uh, twenty-seven. You can write it down. What is it that makes us, this possible for us to live this way, Paul says? He says, guess what? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you who is pushing back with equal and, and, um, and opposite pressure to the pressures of this world and the pressures of life from within. He's in you. And, and, he, and he's one who, who gives, because he's in you, he gives you guidance, and he gives guidance to the church family, uh, uh, to leaders on, on where they should go and what they should do, and to people within your, your group, and to, 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 to love one another, and to care for one another, and come alongside, and do spontaneous things like, hey, let's go to lunch. You know, stuff that is just like, you know, so standoffish today so, so often, but it's the hope of glory that that could actually be possible. You see, you could kind of summarize the whole thing, uh, this consuming fire business, this way, I think. If you're a believer, your natural environment is God's consuming fire. And Christians who are consumed by Jesus will be resilient in days ahead. That's the pathway. Now, I'm going to do something that uh, I do often, but I'm going to do it in a different way. You know, a lot of times up here, we'll just give people an invitation uh, to receive Christ and, and just ask you to pray that prayer if that's what you want to do. And I, I want to be serious about that. I want to let you know that this would be a good time as we pray here in a minute that you just talk to the Lord and say, uh, Lord Jesus, um, would you come into my life? I don't understand all this, but man, I know I want, I want who you are in my life. And then just, we, we had this happen quite often. We had it happen in, right over here somewhere uh, just a couple weeks ago. And I didn't even say it, okay? It's amazing how Jesus works. I don't have to say it. But uh, then go to the information table if that's something you did and just let them know that that happened for you or give them your connection card. They've got some uh, things they want, would like to give you to help you get started and so forth. But, but here's, here's, the, here's the kind of invitation. I'm going to invite everybody to pray today. 
all of us in our church family to pray with me. And what I'm asking you to do, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. This, I'm going to ask you to put it on your card, but I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? Because I want you to have the freedom to pray this prayer uh, when we get into praying. And that here's the invitation. I'm inviting you to pray with me that God would be a consuming fire on Jesus' family at Eastridge Church. That he would so take over, that we would so give him everything across, that we, would, that we haven't even seen what he'll do yet. We got, some, we got some pretty good hints. We're seeing some pretty cool things. And we're seeing God change lives. But what would happen if everybody was all in on that and pray that it would be this completely surrounding, consuming thing? Because when he consumes, he makes everything new. And he transforms. And he, he, makes, he shows his love to all and fills up every person so that it is actually, you can say, that I have Christ in me and he's my hope. He's the hope of glory. He's the hope of possibility of what he wants to do now and for eternity in my life. So if that's what you would like to do, if you would like to follow, uh, join me in prayer for the next several weeks about that, I want you to take out your uh, connection card from your bulletin. And then, down here it says, is there anything else you'd like us to know? And here's what I'd like you to let me know. And I'm just letting the staff know, I didn't tell anybody, that I need these cards, or at least to know who to pray with. Just write the words, praying fire. Praying fire. I could have, put a, could have put praying Jesus love, praying for my church family. But I like the word fire. So praying fire. That God would do that. Consuming fire. And I'm going to call the band out here. And as you think about whether or not that's a prayer you can, you can pray and you're willing to pray with me. Um, I want to share with you something that I got out of my own devotional life. Okay, this, in other words, you know when you, you, you read the Bible in the morning and pray or whatever, you know, hopefully that's a reality for you, at least from time to time. Uh, in my uh, time there, they, they call that devotions, I guess. And in my time, uh, I, I'm in the middle of Isaiah for part of my reading, okay? And in Isaiah, if you've read the middle of it, it's like these messianic passages of, he's coming and he's going to set that nation straight and he's going to judge that thing. And he's gonna, it's like, wow, you know. But right in the middle of there, there's these powerful, powerful, in the midst of this, all this consuming fire, there's these powerful words of love and encouragement. In chapter after chapter. And, and three of them just stood out to me. So I'm going to read them for you and just let them ring in your ears and then I'm, I'm going to go right to prayer. Because in chapter 26, 29, and 30, here's what God says through his prophet Isaiah. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Boy, that sounds good. But when he sees his children, the work of his hands in the, his midst, they will sanctify my name. Indeed, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, and they will stand in awe. Notice they're standing in awe of the God of Israel. And watch this. Therefore the Lord longs, God longs, to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord, Yahweh God, is God of justice. Now blessed are those who long for him. The Lord longs for you. Do you long for him? That's what that says. Because he longs to give you compassion and justice and grace. Isn't that good news? That is good news. Come back next week and we're going to start unpacking that good news. 
Let me pray for us. Our loving, heavenly Abba Father, as we pray today, I, we pray together that you would take all of us, not in the sense of all of us as individuals, but all of us as a church family, that you would draw us in, that you would make all things new, that you would heal what needs to be healed, that you would show compassion to those who do not believe they are loved, that you'd communicate that to us, that it would change how we deal with each other, that it would change how we see our lives and that would we see the newness of what is possible when you really are the fire in our bones. You really are the one who consumes us so completely that you make everything new and we see everything differently. I thank you for this church family and I get to be a part of it. I thank you for your presence here, Lord, mostly. And, I, and I'm asking for more of it. I'm asking for more of that environment that you created us for called your consuming fire. And if that's your prayer, as a person here in these seats, just silently pray and say, yes, God, would you make this a consuming, would you bring your consuming fire and take all of us as a church family starting with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here in such a powerful way today, such a loving way. We pray that you would lead us and teach us as we go forward to learn more about you and see your story clearly and completely of what you, the possibilities and the, the hope that you bring when it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We love you, Jesus. We love you for being here today. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.